0: Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. Today I want to speak about something that I shared with um, the Limitless Wealth group on Monday, and that is that God has anointed you to restore anything someone has lost let that just in. i'm going to go to scripture for a second but god has anointed you to restore what anyone has lost now number one that's applicable in your own life if you have lost something make a note of it and start dealing with god in it because right through the bible Restoration is preached in the New Testament. I looked up over 60 scriptures about God promising to restore what was lost in the both Old and New Testament in every aspect of life, and God wants you to bring that good news to those that have lost something. Why is it so quiet yet? (laughs) Have you never thought of yourself of bringing good news? Have you ever thought of yourself to give the hopeless hope? If somebody has lost hope, you have the anointing to give them hope again. God wants to step into your situation where you are hopeless and give you hope again. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 30. Now let's understand where is this in the Bible. This is David has been anointed as king, but he hasn't been appointed as king. So he's most of the time running away from Saul, and he's trying to stay out of trouble. And he's got about 300 men that go with him, that they call David's mighty men, but they are being attacked every now and again, and they go on offensive when they attack. So they got attacked once again, and they chased after those that attacked them. While they were sorting that out, this is now where we start uh, a reading. They've gone to chase after people that attacked them. They didn't find them, and they're coming home from an unsuccessful raid. On the third day, 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, arrived in Ziklah, and that's where they had stayed before that. And now the Amalekites had raided the Negev in Ziklah, and they'd attacked Ziklag and burned it. So where his family was, was attacked while he was away, and it got burnt. See this picture of him and his men coming over the mountain and seeing their camp. You sort of like often see this in Western movies or so on. They come over the ridge, and they just see smoke, and they realize that their camp had been burned. And their camp had been burned and taken captive, the woman and everyone else in it. Both young and old, they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Can you imagine the anguish that the very thing that you are responsible for That you are supposed to protect. Your most precious treasure has burned to nothing. And everything of value, including your sons and daughters and your wife, has been taken away. Would you be uh, upset? Would you be taking strain? Who has felt like they did there that you have got so much um, pain that you're crying? Just go back to verse 5, I mean verse 4. And David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. You see, you go through something in life that rips apart your inside, and you're crying and crying out until you've got no more tears left. That is fairly hopeless. That's a fairly deep amount of trouble. Okay? So we know that um, the wives were taken away in verse 5. And verse 6, David was greatly troubled, and his men were even talking about killing him by throwing stones at him. So not only has everything that's of value been taken away, those that you were leading has now turned against you. And they're throwing stones at you because they were bitter in spirit because of their sons and daughters that were taken. And it often happens as pastors that we get blamed for stuff people go through. Any leader, the moment things go wrong, that is what happens. We know it happened to Moses many a time. Um, So David is in this place of distress. Verse 7, then David spoke to Abiathar the priest and the son of Amalekite, and he said, bring me the linen apron. Okay, bring me the ephod. Can we put a picture up of an ephod? Sorry, I'm jumping around a bit uh, are you jumping too fast? Go back to verse 7 if you can. And if you can put up the picture of the ephod. Don't go to verse 8 yet. Okay. So he says to the priest, bring me the linen apron. And that's a picture of the apron. It is what was used to inquire of God. Now, personally, I don't like in the New Testament when we go for like a prayer shawl or something like this, but it's a picture of changing your mantle. Yes, David in his kingly anointing, in his warrior anointing, and he puts it down and he says, let me put on a priestly garment. He moves from the warrior to the priest and says, I need to hear from God before I do anything. I need an encounter, and I need to hear what is God saying about this terrible thing that's happened before I do anything about it. What I normally do, I rush off half ready and want to go fight without hearing what God says. So he stops, and he says, um, let me hear what God says. Oh, I've skipped my own scripture. I've sk- that's why there's a bit of confusion. Ow. <laughs> but we'll go back to verse 6 in a minute. You have to hear what God says. I apologize, Lee, that's my fault. The last part of verse 6 says, But David was made strong by the Lord his God. So the first thing he did, he allowed God to strengthen him. Then he went to go and hear what God says by putting on the garment of the priest. By stepping out of his mantle, and we have different mantles. Sometimes I'm a dad, sometimes I'm a pastor, sometimes I'm an apostle, sometimes I'm a businessman. And we have to make a choice to first be strengthened in God. When we are taking strain, you have to have an encounter with God. So David didn't worry about them throwing stones about him. He didn't worry about the loss of his wife. He sat down and said, okay, let me get right with God first. And he found strength in the Lord is God. And I'm telling you that if you can't do that moment, you're going to try and deal with it in your natural realm. Let's say you're a businessman and you go through a hard time. You're going to try and deal with your business problems in your business ability. Maybe the studies you've done, maybe the experience you have, maybe the contacts you have. And those are all good, but they don't have the power of being strengthened in the Lord. Then, uh, let's say you're a husband and something goes wrong in your marriage and you try and fix it in your husbandly role, things just get worse and worse. Things just get deeper and deeper trouble or a wife. Or a mother. Or any issue that you have, when you try and deal with it in your own strength, it runs just into more trouble. Who knows that? We've tried it. And we know that we have to first get an encounter with God. But we are so in the midst of the fight. We are so involved in what's happening. We can't get what God says. So in verse 8, David asks the Lord for advice. He's now wearing his ephod, he's wearing his priestly garment, and he says, Lord, what should I chase after the men who attacked Zikla? If I do, will I catch up with them? So you ask God, will this work? Now, here's a, an important word for frontline. Don't operate in presumption. Don't operate in presumption. There's so many words going around, and I mentioned this last week as well. On Facebook, you can get 10 words a day. It doesn't mean that every word is for you. You have to have an encounter with God, saying, is this word for me? I'm not saying that a word on Facebook is not for you, or it is for you. But don't just take every word that's floating around in cyberspace As something that God has spoken to you. Go take your time and say, God, are you saying this to me? We are not going to overcome the devil by the power of positive thinking. I believe in a positive attitude. I believe in standing strong. But we need an encounter from God more than anything else. We build our positivity from our encounter. We don't build our encounter from our positivity. Do you understand the difference? Yeah. You wait until you hear from God, and then you act. You don't act and then make it as if God said. Yeah. Okay? I've got that badge. Lord, you better help me because I'm attacking these people. I'm, I'm doing this thing, God. You better help me. Oh, but I never said you must do that. Yeah, but but... but. So, I push in, and then I depend on God, instead of hearing from God and then depending on Him. Okay? So, we have to do that place and saying, will I catch them? And then God answers, chase after them. You will certainly catch them, and you will succeed in the rescue. God has called you to be a rescuer. God has called you to go through this process with him so that you can rescue people that has got lost hope. You speak to somebody that is grieving, and you can replace their grief with joy. God has anointed you for that. You speak to somebody that has lost something in business, and you can encourage them on how to take it back. We know the story. We've often ministered on Abraham going after his uh, nephew Lot was attacked. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, even though his nephew was in a sinful place, when he got carried away, Abraham went and rescued him and brought him back. That is an anointing and a a golden wire right through the Bible that the people of God are anointed to bring back that which was lost, to restore that which was lost. So he chases after them. Oops. Verse 9 David and his 600 men came to the bazaar valley, and some of them stayed behind there. That's because 200 of them were too tired to go across the valley. But David and the 400 continued to the chase. Sometimes when God calls you to something, you're going to get so tired that you think you can't carry on anymore. But don't get tired. Be strengthened in God. Be strengthened. Carry on the pursuit. Pursue what God has told you to pursue. Pursue what God has told you. To have. Okay, then there's a story about an Egyptian man that helped them. Let's skip that. Um, Let's go to verse 17. David fought against them for sunset until the evening the next day. That's 24 hours of warfare, even though God said he's going to win the war. (laughs) Do you know that in 24 hours of warfare, it's not all going your way? You start, yeah, as the sun's going down and it becomes darker and darker. By 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, your sword's heavy and you're tired and you're hungry and thirsty. And you can't say, well, let's stop and have a tea break and have some rusks and coffee like they do in Asterix. Okay? The war is carrying on. It gets breakfast time and the war is still carrying on. It's lunchtime and it's still carrying on. There's a time that you have to fight until the victory comes. Not until you get tired. Oh, sure. Um, No one escaped. David got everything back, verse 18, that the Amalekites had taken. That included his two wives. Nothing was missing. Not one young person or old person or boy or girl was missing. None of the goods or anything else that the Amalekites had taken was missing. You see, David brought everything back. Can you understand that that is an anointing upon every Christian? To do that very thing, to restore what was lost. You see, the wives and the children were now helplessly in captivity. You agree with me? And what does Jesus say? I came to set the captives free. That's the reason Jesus came, is to deal with people that are stuck in a situation. So if you're the stuck person, then believe that God is sending somebody to pull you out. If you are the one who has gone through the loss, believe that God is anointing you to go and solve the problem. But God has heard your cry, and he wants to interfere. He uses people. But God wants to come and interfere in your situation, and there is an outcome. Let's just quickly go through a couple of points that God has established in this process. Number one, be strengthened in God. You cannot go to a fight or a survival or a change of situation without an encounter from God. I can bring knowledge, but I cannot bring an encounter. We know in the Bible that when the disciples, uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And this is after he has lived with them and they've seen all the things he's done and he has taught them. He asked them, who do you say I am? Simon said, uh, Peter said, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, flesh and blood did not explain that to you, but it was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. So for you to be strengthened in the Lord, you have to have that kind of encounter. Church, don't push after hearing a word from God or the prophetic voice or a healing. Push after an encounter with God where he reveals himself to you. Because once you have the revelation, you are strengthened on the inside by God and you can do anything. Until that happens, you're operating in your fleshly level. I said to the team before here yeah, is that the one thing I'm scared of is ever getting on this stage without an encounter. If I come and preach here from the knowledge I've had of serving God for 40 years, of being a pastor for more than 20 years, of having studied the Bible, and I come and preach here out of my knowledge, I will only be strengthening you on the outside. But when I can have an encounter with God, and I come and share with you guys, I had an encounter with God when I was so finished that I didn't know how to take the next step. And God came and said to me, you will succeed. You will come out of it. I have anointed you to do it. But for that to happen, I have to step away from Hannes the businessman. I have to step away from Hannes the pastor. I have to step away from my experience and say, I depend upon you, God. You are the one that's going to make it happen. If the church is full or empty, it doesn't matter, because God is the God that's going to let the encounter happen. If there's money in the bank or there's no money in the bank, it doesn't matter because I had an encounter. If I have a job or I don't have a job, it doesn't matter because I had an encounter. If I'm sick or I'm not sick, it doesn't matter because I've had an encounter. If I've lost something or I haven't lost it, it doesn't matter because I've had an encounter. An encounter is the only thing that will carry you through the dark days. What is more of a dark day than coming down a hill and seeing whatever you loved, whatever you are responsible for, being in a mess and burning? Then Satan immediately comes at you. You're a bad leader. You don't know how to do business. You're a bad father. You're a bad husband. He tells you all kinds of lies. He goes crazy in your mind until you have an encounter with God. What does Satan say? You're not good enough. You don't know how to do this. You have no plan. Everything you touch becomes a mess. Who's had those kind of feelings? And the only way you deal with those feelings is an encounter with God. So David was strengthened on the inside by God. Number two, you change your mental. You step away from everything that you know how to do it. Everything that is in your own strength, you leave it and you take off. He took off his armor to put on his ephod. So he put on a priestly garment to saying, Now I need an encounter. Now I need Jesus to speak. Because everything that I have done in my own strength has just led to trouble. Everybody around me is bitter. Everybody around me is upset. Nobody likes me. And but I need to hear from my God. And He has a different mantle. And he starts hearing God's voice. You cannot hear God's voice while you're depending on everything else. When you're looking in the natural, you will not hear God's voice. So go into your inner room, get away from everybody else, and saying, God, I need an encounter. Number three, you hear what God is saying. You see, he asked God, God. Will I succeed? Will I come out of this situation? Is somebody going to rescue me? Is there a new opportunity for me? Will I have another husband, another wife? Will I have, will my children return to God? Whatever the question is, you have to clarify it with God in your inner room and not listen to a whole lot of presumptuous voices. When you have that encounter, Believe that you are anointed to change the fortunes of many. You can be the same anointing that was on Jesus to set the captives free. Is upon you. How do I have the, the thing to say that? Because Jesus sent us to go and do what he has done. When he sent out the 70, he said, go and do what you saw me do. Okay, so we're going to go just now into Luke 4 and hear just again what did Jesus say. But you have to understand that you are anointed, not only for yourself to survive, but to bring others out of their crisis. Don't let the focus only be on your crisis. Because Satan will keep you busy with your own crisis for so long that you never get a chance to do what you're called to do. Take your eyes off your own crisis and say, I've heard from God. I'm going to do what I have to do. Crisis or no crisis. Trouble or no trouble. I'm going to push into what God has, and I know my stuff will be sorted. Number five, you are anointed to bring back that was stolen. Okay? Number six, you are anointed to hand out gifts. We see that David... Came back and he gave to everyone, even those who got tired in chasing, you have gave them back what was stolen from them. Even though others might not be able to step into this anointing, your anointing is to step in on behalf of others. Because some people might get tired in this fight. Don't look down on them. Don't say, Well, you didn't go with, because that's what David's men wanted to say. Well, nobody went with, and they, David said, no, give to everybody. Because tomorrow, you might be tired. Tomorrow, you might need rescuing. Tomorrow, you might be the one who's going to be set free. So operate in that anointing of taking things for others. Let's read the scripture that we've read in 1 Peter a couple of times lately. Oh, this has been such a revelation to me. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 to 11. Be watchful and control yourselves. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He prowls around looking for someone to swallow up. Uh, okay, stay there on verse 9. Let me change to reading your version, so I might just make sure I'm reading the same. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Sure. B- resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So at the moment, there is a lot of suffering. At the moment, with COVID and business and sickness, a lot of people are going through uh, suffering. Don't think it's only you. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself, look at that word, restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast there is the same anointing that's on sowing and reaping is on restoration we must understand that god's got this theme right through the bible from abraham who restored lot right through to jesus who came and restored us there is a process of restoration there is a promise that whatever is stolen will be returned so don't sit down in sack and sack an ashcloth if something goes wrong. Say, God, I want the restoration anointing. I want to restore other people what they have lost. I want to hook in arms with somebody that is stuck and walk with them until they are free. Oh. It says, verse 11, giving the power forever and ever. You see, in Luke 4, verse 18, it says... The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So understand that poverty can be a prison. Poverty can be a prison. And God says, I'm anointing Jesus. And Jesus then puts that same anointing on us to say, go and bring good news to them. Go and set them free. Go and break those chains. God has put an anointing upon us to bring good news to those who can't bring good news to themselves. We cannot do it without what? Without an encounter. Without an absolute process of believing that God has anointed me for this job, I can never do it. While I'm trying to think I can do it in my own strength, I'm going to fall on my face. But when I can have an encounter with God and God says, hey, I'm going to do something through you. That's way beyond your ability. Way beyond your strength. You think again about David's fight. Now they have pursued these guys for so long that some people started falling away along the road. They got so tired they fell away. So they're tired when they start the fight. Hey, who's been so tired of being in the fight and it's just been one thing on another thing on another thing? So now they've rushed for days. Okay, now we'd like to camp by the river for a couple of days and wash our washing and clean our horses and sharpen our swords. And then we'll fight tomorrow morning when the sun comes up. As they got there, in their straggled, tired state, the fight started. Then you can't depend on your own strength. Then you can't depend on your experience. <laughs> then you can't depend on how long you can hold a sword. Because your hand is even tired when you start. Sure. Oh, Psalm 20. Mom ministered on this the other day. Some trust, uh, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses. That is trusting in the natural. Let's, today, we don't trust in chariots and horses. We don't even know what that is today. But what he's is saying is that some trust in their ability and their strength and their wealth. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So when you're trusting in the name of the Lord our God, it doesn't matter if you have chariots and horses. Because you're not depending upon that. Frontline, don't depend on anything else. But on the name of the Lord. In your issues that you face, don't allow Satan to make it about you. Because Satan would love to tell you you're not good enough. Satan would love to tell you you can't do it. Satan would love to tell you it's for somebody else. But when you have an encounter and you say, God, I've laid down my armor and I've put on my priestly garment. I've laid down my kingly anointing, and I've put on my priestly anointing. It doesn't matter what you have and what you don't have, because then you hear a word from God. And I've had to be in that position so much lately. Uh, Verse 8 of Psalm 20. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. And answer us when we call. God is not going to answer you if you don't call. Don't operate in a presumption that you're going to be okay. Operate from your, when you have an encounter, when you're calling out to him. You're a history maker. You are ordained to bring people to victory. You are anointed to fetch that which has been stolen and bring it home. Abraham operated in that place. Uh, a lot we know that he lost everything, but he got double back. Okay. Uh, Jesus says, I've come to bring hope to the hopeless. I've come to set the captive free. So that runs all right through the Bible. Listen to this time. Don't operate in these dark times in your chariots or horses, don't operate in your armor, but ap- operate from your priestly garment, your ephod, your anointing for what God has said to you, not what you're seeing around you. You see, in 2 Kings 7, we'll just read verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, this is what the Lord says, about this time tomorrow, a seer of the finest flower will sell for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So Samaria had been closed up by attackers for months, to the point where they were actually sharing their babies to eat them. You know the stories? It was so destructive in the natural that they were absolutely desperate. They had no more hope, no more food, no more plan. And the prophetic voice comes and says, tomorrow, this time, things are gonna change. You know, in the New Testament, we can all operate in the prophetic. You can operate in the prophetic. You are called to declare good news. So you have to speak the change. You have to hear what God is saying and then speak it. Because as you speak it, so change comes. As a Christian, never, ever operate from a place where you want pity. Why do I say that? Because you have to speak the negative and even color it in so that you can have pity instead of speaking the good news. If you want pity, you start speaking negative negative. So that people feel sorry for you and they're going to help you. I'm not saying don't cry out for help by people. I'm not saying that. But just be careful that you don't make it worse. Because whatever you speak is what you're going to get. So make sure you speak in authority. And you speak what God has said. And not what you're trying to attract. Oh, it's got quiet. Yeah. You are anointed to bring good news. You're anointed to operate with the mantle of pursuing that which has been lost. Pursue the anointing that you've lost. In sport, I see this. Um, I'll use one of the Formula One racing drivers as an example. Alonso went out of Formula One for a few years. And he came back, and he was quickly right up there. He didn't have the car that the others have, but he was right up there in the place that he was. In ministry, I've seen it, somebody steps out of ministry and they come back and they step right up to the anointing that they had before. In business, I've seen it, people have a big loss, but they step right back to the same level. When they have that encounter with God, the level has already been established and God says, I wanna take you back to where you were. Whatever you have lost, I wanna take you back there's so many scriptures about the return of what you have lost, just like there is about sowing and reaping. Oh. Jeremiah 33 says this. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the God, this is also a time that they were under a siege, and the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things, what you do not know. So what God says is, call to me for an encounter, so that I can tell you how things are going to work. Call to me, not just for help, but call to me so that I can speak to you. What did Samuel say? Say, when he was in the temple as a little boy, and he kept on running to Eli to see if Eli was here. And Eli said to him, say to God, speak, your servant is listening. So you have to take that little boy's attitude and say, God, I'm here to hear what you're saying more than what I'm here for you to answer my prayer. I want an encounter more than what I want a solution. Tell you unsearchable things. Um, Tell you great and unsearchable things. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in the city and the royal palaces of Judah. Uh, They've been torn down and used against the siege ramps and the sword. So, yes, the city has been torn down and it's in trouble. And he says, call out to hear my voice. Don't call out for help. Call out to hear my voice. Um, Verse 4. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and I will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. So the city is totally destroyed and the houses have been trampled to make ramps for the place to be attacked. That's how bad it's gone. People are all sickly and they have no hope. And God says, I will heal my people and bring abundant peace and security. God is making you a promise about what He's going to do in your life. Something very interesting. Verse 7, I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and I will rebuild them as they were before. Some of you have lost family. Some of you have lost wealth. Some of you have lost health. Some of you have lost things. And God says, I'm going to build you back to where you were before. I'm going to build you back. Now, verse 8 is absolutely critical. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Every time that God brings restoration, he brings cleansing with it. There's a process of sanctification that is part of restoration. Because what I have found in hard times, our sin shouts out at us. When it's going well, our sin is sort of like hidden under the well-going anointing. Our sin is hidden because we don't need to deal with it. But suddenly when it's hard times, you realize, oh, sure, I have to deal with this. I can't allow this in my life anymore. There is a process of cleansing that is as much part of the restoration as what the restoration itself is. Don't ask for the restoration if you're not willing to dove through the cleansing. Does that make sense? Allow God to let verse 8 be reality for me. Verse 9, then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth, that year of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity. Hey, I like that word, abundant prosperity. And peace, I provide for it. God wants to brag with you. God wants to let People encounter joy when they hear about what he has done for you. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. I want other people to see that God has done a miracle. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says, You say about this place, it's a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of the Jerusalem are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals. There will be heard once more the sound of joy and gladness. Amen. The voices of bride and bridegroom and the voices of those who bring thank- offerings to the house of the Lord. Saying, give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. Uh, and His love endures forever. And for I will restore The fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. There's a restoration that is a promise of God. And I'm hoping that God is having an encounter with people here that have lost something. I can't bring an encounter that's up to God. But I believe that this word truly made me just realize that God says He can bring me back. Let's go to Joel 2 from verse 24. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 25, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust. Can I say something to the young people of South Africa? The last two years were stolen from you, were stolen from others as well. But for the young people, lost two critical years of their life. God says, I'm going to restore those two years to you. Let's jump to verse 26, because it's all about the locust for the first next couple of verses. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Oh, expect God to bring back. Some of you have lost families. God says, I'm bringing back. Some of you have lost health. God says, I'm bringing back. Some of you have lost finances. God says, I'm bringing back. In Job 42 and verse 10, and the Lord, what's that word? Restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. If God restored for Job, he's going to restore for you. He's going to put it back. You're not alone in this fight. You don't have to fight it in your natural realm. You can fight it in the spiritual realm. Let me finish off with something that Jesus said. John 10 and verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they have it more abundantly. The opposite. You see, something might have happened, but Jesus says, I'm turning it around. Something might have been lost, but Jesus says, I'm turning it around. You will not stay in the same place. God says, I'm turning it around, I'm turning it around, I'm turning it around.